Hello and welcome to season three, episode 10 of Dualist Community. I am infinite potential being expressed as Andrew today. And I am uncertainty, trying to avoid the limitlessness of my potential by clinging to a fiction called Ray. And it's working for me. It's been a hell of a journey. You know, everything I've done, I've more or less done to myself, or at the very least made it harder on myself by clinging to it. And over time, I've more or less learned just to get out of the way. And that's really what this is all about. And so I want to share just a few announcements before I get on to our very special guest today, who we have been waiting for for a little while now. The first announcement, of course, is that we only have four tickets remaining for the upcoming retreat in November. November 12th to 20th, the first Dualistic Unity retreat will be happening. You can get your ticket at dualisticunity.com. Um, there are four left. I think there's three double beds and one queen bed. Each of those beds, of course, can fit two people, so you can bring a guest and it does not increase the ticket price. So if you're interested or if you have any questions, get in touch with us on the website or through Discord or through Patreon, and we will be happy to tell you all the details and answer all the questions to make sure that you get here with as little difficulty as possible. On that note, one, one last thing, we do have uh, group chats every week on Patreon. The first Wednesday of the month is our free public group chat, which is of course going to be this week. If you'd like to register, registration is free at dualisticunity.com. It will be an hour long. And then after that, we do go to Patreon afterwards. But of course you can join us there as well for only $5 a month. And then you can talk to us every week in the group chat on Patreon. It's always a lot of fun and the group gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we never know where it's going to go very much like these episodes. So if you can join us, all you're doing is helping us learn in the same way that we're helping you learn. And that's it for the announcements today. I am excited to introduce our guest, Cameron Rosen. Uh, you would recognize him from Cameron Rosen on TikTok and Instagram, but he is also the host of the This Might Be Helpful podcast, as well as offering This Might Be Helpful terpene blends, which are very interesting to me because I've had a history with essential oils and I'm very interested in terpenes, of course, from my history with cannabis in the cannabis industry, not just my recreational use of cannabis, let's just say. Cameron is a fantastic host of his podcast. I really enjoy listening to all of the insights that he does share. He's very vulnerable, he's very honest, and he's very helpful, which is why the name of his podcast is perfect. His TikTok content is especially enjoyable because it really touches on what I feel are the most important parts of philosophy, stoicism, neuroscience. It makes it more applicable rather than just intellectual. He really does try to make it about what's helpful to him in his life. And because of that, I've been excited for this conversation for a long time. So without any further gilding of the lily, welcome, Cameron. I'm glad that you could make it. If you don't mind just sharing with our audience a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you got to this point in your journey. All right. Thank you, Ray. Hey, you make a great intro, might I say. That was very smooth. Um, <clears throat> for a bundle of uncertainty just wrapped up in your neural pathways, you do a wonderful job. Um, thank you for that introduction. I, my journey, I mean, geez, it's, there's a question I've received a lot, like, hey, who are you? Why are you like this? And it's like, where, where do I start? How old are you? What do you mean? <laughs> my biological age, if I just going to be spouting off some metrics here. Um, <clears throat> I was raised in a small town in Montana out in more or less the middle of nowhere. Um, we had nine bars and 12 churches, and we were one of the only non-religious families there. So that had a bit of an impact, I'd say. Um, my parents fostered curiosity and experience above really all else. So I grew up whitewater rafting. My dad had a rafting company in Montana. 
my mom had a <clears throat> eclectic jewelry store, uh, traders of the exotic boomerang beads. So she'd, um, you know, trading in rare African beads. And it was certainly a little bit out of the general um, scope of that town, but people liked her for it. And then 16 years or so ago, we moved to Australia to be closer to her family, um, ended up staying. 16 years later, I'm still here, going back and forth, because it's a, it's a society that makes sense for the most part. It's pretty palatable uh, existence. Uh, and then in terms of the journey here, um, curiosity and then disregarding people's opinions and their sound counsel and sage wisdom. You should do this. I'm like, no. So I've just kind of kept doing that. I went and studied nursing. This was after I realized that I didn't need to study photography. I could just take photos and you don't need a degree to do most things. And then you do need a degree to jab people with needles and <clears throat> got that. And then realized I didn't want to work in hospitals either. And everybody said, you should, you got to go do this. You got to go be a nurse and contribute to society. And I said, I oh, will do it my own way. And then I got into cannabis. I was into it for a long time. Couldn't find a door in though, because I didn't have the money nor any of the experience to run a business in the cannabis space, especially in Australia. It's very regulated, very medicinal. And I made a podcast instead. And so I reached out to a bunch of the great minds in the industry. Dr. Ethan Russo was the first one. And I just hit him up on LinkedIn. I was like, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? Thinking that he wouldn't really say yes. And just immediately goes, yeah, sure. When? I go, uh, uh, uh two weeks and then I had to figure out how to make a podcast so I did that chopped up the clips put it on LinkedIn and then got into a cool startup with those guys and here we are just talking trying to figure things out that is that is incredible I am very glad that you shared all of that with us because I think it resonates with you know myself for sure just kind of doing a bunch of different things and it all somehow coming together perfectly, but also you still kind of wonder if anything's put together at, at this point, but um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm curious, I guess too, because I know your podcast, I think I was listening to the first episode a couple of days ago and it was from April, I believe. So it's fairly recent um, relative to your other content regarding content and like how that's fit into your journey. You have incredible videos, incredibly helpful. I think from what I've seen from your podcast and what I've heard from it, it's sort of your ability to expand on a lot of the things that you post on TikTok and Instagram and in shorter 30 to 60 second clips and, and sort of just expand on that. I find a lot of overlap between the videos and the podcast regarding content, which is, you know, similar to how we are here. Um, and so regarding the the content, when did that begin? You mentioned that growing up, it was a balance of curiosity and basically saying, fuck you to people who told you how to, how to live and how to think. When did content come into play for that? Because it seemed like with those two things, that's like the perfect recipe for becoming a, a content creator, for becoming sort of influencer as, you know, or whatever people want to call you at the end of the day. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about that journey, how it started, what got you into it, what got you excited about it, and, and just a little bit more about that. I wasn't really interested in doing content, so to speak, because I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, still don't, but I enjoy it. Um, I had a friend, Joe, I had a few friends that were really pushing me to start 
talking on the internet. And uh, I also had my partner who was just sick of hearing me talk. And so I was like, well, I'll take it somewhere else, see if anybody else likes it. And so I, uh, I got on TikTok last December. So it's been a pretty quick journey. Um, I got on because I thought I'd, I'll talk about dopamine. I listened to some Andrew Huberman podcasts and it was changing my life. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll talk about this stuff too. Um, going on TikTok was easier because it was new. Nobody knew me. It was just like this fresh landscape to dive into. Um, Instagram, I had all my friends on there. And so I was too nervous and anxious to post it. There. I was like, well, what will my friends from high school think about what I'm talking about here? <laughs> They're fine with it. You know, nobody's thinking what you think they're thinking. <laughs> and if they are, it doesn't matter. Um, so I got on TikTok and I started to uh, talk about things. And then the first video, I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's working. And I said to my friend, Joe, you're, you're onto something. And he goes, I know, I know what I'm talking about. So just keep doing this. And it was pretty rapid. It was very strange. The first video, I posted it and then it went like semi-viral. And my first thought was, oh, this isn't healthy. This can't be good for the brain. <laughs> like you're not supposed to be the recipient of this much like unmitigated adoration from people that do not know you. I just am, you know, leveraging somebody else's work. I didn't get in the lab and figure out this stuff about dopamine. I just learned it from you know Huberman and the people at Stanford. But you just uh that's what the internet allows you to do. It democratizes creativity by allowing you to leverage other people's work. And that's what you do with philosophy. That's what you do with all these concepts. None of these are original thoughts. Uh, maybe a few tangential ones here or there, but they're not mine. I wouldn't be here if the conditions didn't already exist to allow me to do so. Uh, so I've just, you know, there's been some ups and downs in terms of, you know, you get things that are going well, and then you start thinking, well, what do they want to see? What do they want to hear? And then you have to draw yourself back from that and go, no, what do I want to talk about? What am I trying to figure out? What is personally relevant to me? And sometimes nothing is, in which case, you know, I haven't posted anything for a week because I haven't felt like it. I haven't had the ideas. I think that uh, you, you keep pushing yourself and those boundaries expand. And then you have to kind of rest and consolidate and allows you to grow into those boundaries. And you just kind of cover that ground so that that circumference of who you are isn't just like an empty shell. It really does have some kind of framework behind it, some kind of neural pathway to back it up. And that's where I'm at now. It's always strange to, you know, come back to a place after you've been away. I've been doing this half and half country thing for 16 years now. So I should be used to ripping myself out of a little domain and moving to another one. But there's always a little bit of catch up that you need to play with. And as per usual, I have no more certainty than I've ever had. I'm still living <laughs> you know, in the depths of confusion and uncertainty. But it's you know learning how to um, find peace within that because it's you have to you can't wait for it to come there will never be the perfect conditions for a perfect peaceful life you just have to you know adapt to the terrain that finds itself beneath your feet because time's not time's moving through you you're not moving through time it's just we're kind of static right here and a lot of that content has just been me figuring out my own thought processes and then occasionally the internet will say hey there's some gaps in that thinking i'm like yeah obviously <laughs> Absolutely. I, I really like the way that you worded that because you actually expressed something very similar. Uh, I think it was in an episode, I wrote it down here, uh, meditation, ambition, and psychedelics. And you were expressing that you were going through kind of a period where you were kind of feeling empty of content. And you even admitted 
I've started this episode over like five or six times now. And what I really enjoyed about the beginning of that episode was the conviction, but I'm sticking with this one. We're going to see where this goes. And then you had a whole episode of content. You had a whole episode of insight, but it's because you embraced that uncertainty. You embraced the discomfort. You, you embraced the reality. You don't know. We never really do, despite convincing ourselves that we do. But it made me think about something you said a little bit earlier. And I just wanted to give you, I guess, food for thought. I know you already know all this, but sometimes it's helpful to repeal the onion. When people are, are fixated on you, or it feels like they're fixated on you for the insight that you're sharing or, or the impact that they're, that they're experiencing, it's so easy to get lost in the idea of ourselves. Again, like, oh, it's me that they're focused on. I don't deserve this. This is built off of other people, but that's all nonsense because we're not divided, right? It's just that they are grateful for the role that you are currently playing in their experience. They're not grateful to you. They don't even know you, as you said, right? But we don't know any of the people who influenced us either. It's all just one thing influencing each other. So the timing, the, the opportunity to be there when you are, has nothing to do with pride, has nothing to do with being, you know, uh, uh, with taking credit, but you can still feel good about the fact that the work you've done allowed you to do that, allowed you to be there for them. Because had you not done all that work in yourself, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't have the clarity to do so. And when you stop beating yourself up entirely, when you stop thinking like, well, what do I have to offer? And you just offer, you'll feel amazing because you're already doing it. I just want to express that quickly, Cam. Do I pay you for this? Is this a therapy session? Because that's <laughs> worth it. You know, I feel the same way in, in listening to your content and listening to your podcast, because the conversation is honest, which is something we discussed in the last episode, that you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be impeccable. You don't have to be perfect. Just be honest. Just express what you are. Because in that, at least the, the ripple that you've created has less distortion which means that the people working with that ripple have less distortion to deal with. That's really all it's about because then it's on them and it should be on them, right? I, I, I shared in a TikTok video at one point that I was learning Kung Fu from a man who had spent 30 years as a Sifu, not to mention the time that he spent as a student leading up to him being a Sifu. So he was just, just a huge amount of knowledge in one human being. This is a guy who actually learned from the same person who taught Bruce Lee. So I was very, very excited to be part of that class. But Regardless of how much he knew, he had a very thick accent because he wasn't from Canada. And he would hesitate whenever he was explaining insights. And he would feel bad that he wasn't able to express them better. And I, I talked to him one day because we were pretty tight. After about a year of being in his class, we used to hang out after class and, and, and just talk and have dinner and stuff. And I was saying, like, try and remember, 50% of the responsibility is on you. You can just do the best that you can in expressing whatever it is that, you, that you're going through. The rest is on us. The rest is on us. If we're not clear enough to take it in, if we're not paying attention, there's nothing you can do about that. There's no wording that's going to fix that. There's nothing that's going to change that except us, right? And that's that's what that was what made us pretty close friends because he used to say to the other students, Ray has a slow mind, which at first I wasn't sure how to take. But <laughs> later on when he explained, it just means that you take it in, like you stop, you chew on it. You don't ask for the next bit of information, right? Because it really is, how much can you get out of this? Not what is it that you're getting out? What is it that you're trying to get something out of, right? You can sit in a blank room and have all the insights in the universe. So it, it's only half on you, Cam, and you do a great job. Thank you. I mean, it reminds me of a quote by Naval Ravikant. Um, 
no teacher will make you smart. No guru will make you calm. No trainer will make you thin. You must take responsibility and save yourself. It's, it's all on us. It, as much as we'd like to have things, you know, handed on handed to us, there's such an element of responsibility that, you know, that's the content that I want to make. It's, uh, you know, they're the David Goggins out there that are, you know, get off your ass, move, get up at 4am. Um, you're weak, you suck. And then I, you know, I'd like to have a gentler approach because I think that a lot of people, they, they need that. They don't want to be, you know, forced and shamed into doing something. They want to be guided. They want to be shown that you do have the capacity to, to do what you want to do. You do have the capacity to grow and change and heal, but you have to take responsibility. And here are some potential avenues to do that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love the way you articulate these things because I think our approach regarding like dual community and Ray and my content individually is very, very similar. It's funny you mentioned the David Goggins and and that whole side of sort of like the self-help industry it's like another division of it and it's like it's almost like you are not complete as you are you need to do all this work to become something to become more to become more complete to become more whole in yourself and what i see in your approach and and our approach is you're already complete and it's all of the ideas that you have about yourself the perceptions of yourself the judgments of yourself the the things you think you're good and bad at that limit your ability to see all of those things. And so, you know, when I kick the podcast off by saying I am limitless potential, that's what we all are. And, and all we're ever trying to do is help people recognize that within themselves. So it's not so much a process of getting to a place, it's peeling back all the things that you think you are. And through that, your potential will be expressed, but it's all of those ideas of what we think we are, which is never the truth of what we actually are, that limits our ability to do so. So uh, I, I actually had a question, um, what we we're talking about with, with teachers and, and Sifus and whatnot. And I see with, I guess, another aspect of the spiritual community, many people like to be seen as teachers and seen as gurus. And I remember a post you made when your Instagram has grown a lot recently and there's a post and I think maybe it was your manager recommended you share a little bit about yourself. And you said how he mentioned that and, and you thought about it for a little bit and, and you came to the conclusion that you didn't feel like doing that because as much as people may see you as a teacher, as a guru, you're simply a pointer. You're simply a pointer to what they already know. So I'm curious along your journey, because I've had tons of up and ups and downs getting caught up in like all different sort of spiritual belief systems, egotistical illusions and whatnot, if there's been a point, cause it seems like you see things pretty clear on that side, that like you don't want to be seen as a teacher. People don't need a teacher. They need to look within themselves to find it. Was there an ever a point where you got a little bit, even if it was just for a day or like a couple of posts that you got a little bit caught up in thinking of yourself as a teacher or, or worried about maybe starting to being be seen as a teacher or wanting to be seen as a teacher. Cause I know I absolutely have, and that was something I had to let go of last year. Um, but I'm curious what your journeys looked like with that and, and your experience with that. Of course, I think that, you know, I'd be lying if I said that the experience of, you know, receiving that kind of attention is not heady. Um, especially when you try to 
you know, describe what you're doing, if only so that you can set up some kind of way to, to monetize these things as well, right? Because, um, yeah, I can go back and work on a hospital floor for 12 hours a day, and I won't have any of the energy to come on and, and do these types of things. I won't have the energy to, you know, elucidate my thoughts and my ramblings. Um, it's moments like those where you have to ha implement consistent decisions to draw back and to be still and to, you know, kind of get away from all of the emanations of the ego. Uh, I'm not sure who said this recently, but they said that uh, ego speaks in words and intuition doesn't. And so I found that, you know, the more language I'm using to justify a decision, if I'm owing and eyeing, the answer is no. Answer is don't do it because, you know, it's not, it's not communicating to me in a way that is, you know, sustainable. Uh, figuring out, oh, you know, what, what, what am I? What do I call this? I don't like the word influencer, but I have influence. Um, you know, I'm not going to use the word guru because I'm an anti-guru guru. Again, you don't, you don't need me. Nobody needs me. And I think Bruce Lee might have said this, but the best teacher is the one that protects you from his own influence. And that's, you know, what I'm trying to do out there. Every truth that I might mention is a signpost to the truth. It's not the truth itself. It's your job to look at that and look at there and figure it out. The other quote is, don't look at the finger pointing at the moon or you'll miss all of its heavenly glory. And I still don't know what to call myself. I still don't know, you know, what this is. And it is difficult. I even, you know, writing a bio in my link tree. What am I supposed to put in there? Now, I have all these words. I can't stop talking. People go, how do you learn to talk so well? I say, I'd never shut the fuck up. Probably. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's a constant, you know, simmering down. And, and you know, the more you speak, the, the further you get away from the truth, because the truth is, is silent. But yeah, the, the ego absolutely flares up. And the ego is also what, you know, probably has inhibited me from actually posting anything in the last few days, because, uh, you know, I have this idea in my head of what I am when I show up and what I do there. And when I'm not in that mindset, when I'm not in that, you know, good feeling state of mind, then it's in contrast to the stuff that I post, in which case I don't feel like posting anything. And it's another thing to step back from and be able to uh, get on there with more transparency. Be like, yo, not everybody feels good all the time. These do not think that I am this perfect little calm guru, a stone Buddha sitting under a tree. It's not like that. Yeah, it's so important to communicate that, that to people because they do tend to build an idea of you as much as it's tempting to build an idea of ourselves. Even if you don't, people who are holding on to ideas of themselves will automatically have an idea of you. And so you kind of have to work against that to some degree, but gently as well. I was talking to somebody recently um, about our Discord, and they've been a member of our community for, for quite some time. And I say a member of our community, but by that, I mean, you have no community you are self-responsible. That's the only thing that really brings our community together is the fact that we're all self-responsible for ourselves. We don't lean on anyone else. But throughout that journey, the, the biggest thing is, is people realizing, oh, I don't, I don't have to carry this weight. I don't have to keep making this hard on myself. This thing that I've been entertaining actually isn't required. It's optional. And so when they first hit the Discord, a lot of times it's, oh, life is amazing. Oh my God, this is fantastic. And everybody's sharing love and everybody's sharing the vibe and doing all that. But occasionally you'll get somebody who's like, okay, after all that, after I feel good for having escaped the prison that I didn't know I was in, I still have to do the work. <laughs> I'm still here feeling doubt. I'm still here feeling anxious. I'm still here 
having these habitual thoughts or, or going through this habitual strategy that I had for trying to build certainty in my life. What do I do with all that? And the answer is always, well, just let it happen. Whatever's happening is the process happening. I, I mentioned this in a call this week. I've said it before on the podcast, but on a Windows computer, if you look at the task manager, you can see thousands of processes happening behind Windows all the time, none of which you ever see unless you deliberately go and look. But if you were to go and look and you started deliberately messing with those processes, thinking that you're helping, your whole computer would shut down. And that's what we do with thought. The process is already happening. You don't have to pay attention to it. You're already changing. The fact that you have insights about how you're changing is indicative that you were changing, like the gap that you just had in your content. There's no rhyme and reason to that. Your thoughts will create a rhyme and reason to that. Like, maybe I got to do this. Maybe this is what's happening. I don't know. The fact is, is you're just in process and that was not part of the process. That, that's it. And now you are where you are. But it's so interesting. And we were talking about uh, epiphenomenalism before that or, or in a previous episode where we're already doing the action. And then our thought justifies the action because we are the process. It's just that we immediately need to take ownership. Like, ah, what am I doing? And we analyze this fiction of me, which was never separate to begin with. So I, I find it really interesting how often on the road to being a teacher, but not wanting to think of yourself as a teacher, you just continue in these cycles of wondering, like, am I doing it? And you are the entire time for anybody who's paying attention enough to learn. It's not that you've done anything so much as what you've always been doing, which is serving your purpose. And there's that receptivity that, you know, how many people, you know, would hear the first few words of a video and then keep scrolling because they're not in the, they're not at a point yet. The conditions don't exist for them to be receptive in that situation. Um, we, automatically fill in the fill in the blanks fill in the gaps saying the bloody mary thing that's you know the lighting the candle in the bathroom and looking in your face and enchanting bloody mary bloody mary bloody mary your mind fills in the gaps and you see bloody mary in the shadows because that's what your mind does it fills in the gaps of what it doesn't see it's always you know assuming that it knows the story but really it it doesn't and we also attach a, a story to how we feel oh i feel like this so it must be because of this and this and this and this and this instead of just being able to feel it, let it go. I mean, I've been tremendously anxious for the last few days and I've been, you know, catching myself, attaching a story to it. Like, oh, well, it's this because I'm in this house. It's because I'm in this place. It's because I was feeling so grounded over there. I was in the woods and now I'm back here and I'm trying to do things in society. It's like, no, I think that these are just some biological processes occurring in the incarnation that is Cameron. And if I can take a step back, be aware of the Cameron, of the stories that he's playing, then I can make little alterations and adjustments where I can just sit with that and, and let it pass and not beat myself up over it because it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating how often we try and find that certainty. And it's like with everything, whenever we're feeling a certain way, we want to know why we want to know where it's coming from. So we, we strive to figure it out. We think, Oh, I know this is a bad thing to be feeling. So I want to get rid of it. I want to, I want to take action. It's just the ego trying to incorporate a sense of control over the situation that isn't actually there. But as long as it can find some sense of certainty, even if it's a negative definition of ourself, even if it's deciding that, you know, we feel this way because of, you know, how someone else treated us or something, it's, it's striving to find that sense of certainty because that's what keeps it around. That's what keeps the sense of self around is false sense of certainty. So going back to when you were talking about uncertainty before, that's always 
the reality. And as we relax into the recognition that uncertainty is what we are in every single moment, and that's perfectly okay to be uncertain in every single moment. And we are not something that is separate from the act that we are doing. We're not something separate from reality that we need to figure out what is happening, what is going on. We are simply process. We are change in every single moment. We are the process of change and, and that's it. So there is no longer an idea to cling to, an idea that we need to define based on that. And I find that with myself all the time. I go through ups and downs all the time as Ray knows, because we talk about it so often. Like I'm always going through periods of, of my life where maybe I'm not feeling as great or, or getting worked up about something or things are getting too heavy for me, or I'm trying to juggle too many things, or I'm even just feeling a little bit down. And I try and figure out why. And I try to help myself to feel better because I've already labeled those feelings in that situation as a bad thing. But I find that even just letting go of the label of it being a lull or, or a bad thing that I'm experiencing, it just is what it is. And the sooner I can let go of the label of, of what I think it is or, or the idea or the concept or whatever it may be that I'm trying to overlay on top of how I'm feeling, the sooner it goes away, the sooner I see opportunities for other things. But it's like, those ideas, those labels always cut us off from the flow, from, from reality. And it's fascinating how the sooner you let go of those, the sooner you're back in it. It's almost like that thing that could have taken three days to, to get through, maybe, you know, still take some time. There's still feelings that you're processing and going through, but all of a sudden it's like, you know, half a day and, and it's just letting go of even the idea that you're going through a difficult period. It just is what it is in that moment. You're just feeling what you're feeling in that moment. And that's it. So I find that letting go of the labels, letting go of, of any idea of what I think I am or what I think I'm going through almost helps that process accelerate that much more quickly. And it's a decision you need to make consistently. You have to make that decision frequently. Um, and the more you make it, the easier it is. Uh, letting go at the start is like, is a foreign concept for people. What do you mean let go? How can I let go of all of this? You just have to let go and it does get easier. All of these, all of these ideas and concepts, if we can start applying them and embodying them, a lot of them seem ridiculous at the start, but if you keep doing it, the ability to slip into that flow state of, um, you know, just fluidity where you don't, you're not getting all the little loops and tangles of the self just snagged on the riverbanks and you can actually flow through it. It's something that does require practice. Um, meditation has been a profound just tool in that regard, being able to initiate that environment in which those loops and tangles of the self are more consolidated, something that is not that it's smooth, it's just going where it's going, as opposed to needing to have its direction. And my philosophy with just life and the decisions that I make has been, all right, I know, no, that there's no destination that I'm heading towards. There's no final resting place. But if I like the scenery, then I'm on the right path. I just want to enjoy the scenery. That seems like a worthy ambition. If you could even call it an ambition, it's more of a recognition or an appreciation because that, that really is what happens when you do surrender. When you do let go is you just recognize that your life is perfectly appropriate 
And, and there's nothing that you would want to change because you can see how much you've already become. But it's when we get wrapped up in that idea of ourselves, And I think that really does separate in, in the so-called spiritual teachers from those who are serving a purpose in being students and teaching at the same time is that one is very much an egotistical thing. It's like you're going through the spiritual concepts, you're going through the quote unquote education to achieve a certain point where that wherein you can look down on everybody else because you know and they do not. So you enter right into that dichotomy. And that's your entire ambition for the for the whole journey, which is why you can't pass that point. You can't let it go because it is your value. It's everything you've been striving for. Whereas if you recognize that's actually not as valuable as you might think, putting yourself up there actually does harm that you may not be aware of simply because you're over-invested in the benefit that you're, you're reaping, um, then you have to have a change. You actually, you actually have to have the recognition of oh, maybe what I think I am isn't as important as I want to think it is. And that's the letting go. As soon as you, you have that revelation, everything changes. Your reason for doing everything changes. It's not necessarily that it's fulfilling to you so much as an expression of your growing fulfillment. Right, which is a very different place to be. Um, I wanted to mention this quickly. I'm sorry, I'm going to uh, sidetrack here just for a quick moment because over the weekend, we were talking about labels here in this episode. And over the weekend, I had a, a moment of insight because I, I've always been bothered by the word belief, particularly when it comes to just accepting something as truth without looking at it or questioning it or anything else. And in the, in the New Testament, Jesus repeatedly says, believe in God and believe in me. And that has never sat right with me. It's always bothered me because if you read the rest of what he's saying, there's no way that he would be saying trust a fiction. There's no way. So I've been sitting here trying to figure out what the hell happened. And then it dawned on me, maybe the word belief changed. And so I went and checked out the etymology and it did. The word believe was actually closer to just being care for or hold dear. So to believe in something was to care for something. It was never to accept it as just what it is. Don't look at it. Don't question it. Stay away. Right. It was none of that. It was just care for or hold dear. And then in the 12th century, when, when the church was at the height of its power, belief was redefined as a conviction of a truth without knowledge. Wow. That's the shift. So Jesus was never saying what every Christian says he was saying. He just said, love God and love yourself and love me because they're all the same. Oh, that's a profound shift in the way that we look at things. And I think that, I mean, belief is such a strange thing in this day and age because I, you know, maybe it's the, just the biological processes that fuel the, uh, you know, just the thoughts that you have, but I've always been fairly stringent in picking apart my beliefs if I have any, because I'm like, well, if, if I don't know what's comprising this belief, then it's empty. And I think that a lot of the people that respond with, with anger and vitriol and frustration when their beliefs are quote attacked or threatened, it's because that, that little veal of belief is, is cracked and within it, because there's no foundation, because they haven't actually challenged it themselves, the only thing that's left there is their emotion. That's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's not rational. It just is emotion coming out. And that's what we see with 
with politics, with religious institutions, with you know things like veganism, with just any any kind of thing that we draw into the identity of the self, and we use that as a justification to live the way that we're living and to feel the way that we're feeling. It's like, wait, wait. First of all, you don't have to believe in anything. You can just be. If you want to eat plants, eat plants. If you want to vote for that person, vote for that person. But to to draw it into the self and to carry it around the weight of both maintaining that belief and defending it, you just have so much unintentional or unnecessary suffering going on in your life. Or if you can let it go, it's a path of least resistance. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think belief and identity, identity for sure, has got to be one of the heaviest things we hold on to. Like I absolutely felt that last year when I sort of recognized that I'm not this idea of Andrew, I literally felt lighter. I felt like I lost 20 pounds in that moment. Like I was walking, you know, six inches above the ground and it, it, who knows? I mean, the way that our mind and body and everything's, you know, there is no disconnect. There is no division anywhere. My weight is just a perception that I, that I hold on to. So who knows? Maybe it was that I was a little bit lighter, but it's fascinating going back to us being processed and, and being changed. It's like when you mentioned voting or doing something, eating a certain food. It's like, you're not something separate from, you're just the act of voting in that moment. You're not something separate that has this identity of someone who is voting for this person, with this belief in all of these things. When you're eating food, you're not a person who just eats, you know, this type of food and that's it because of these beliefs and blah, blah, blah. You're just the process of eating food in that moment. And it's, it's fascinating how, when you, you, you sort of redefine, it was something I learned. I've mentioned it on the podcast all the time from Alan Watts that he talks about a lot with the, the idea of action verbs and how that's closer to the truth of what you are is that process is, you know, when, when you're sitting down, you're the act of sitting down, sitting down can't happen without you. When you're speaking, it's not that you are something that is speaking. It's you are the act of speaking. You are the conversation itself. The conversation couldn't happen without you. So all of a sudden, Without you involved, there's so much less fear, so much less division, so much less suffering because you aren't separate anymore. You aren't separate from reality because reality is process itself. Reality is change, which is also what you are because you are also just reality. So it's fascinating how when we let go more and more and question more and more those beliefs that we hold on to for that false sense of certainty, for that feeling of we almost use it as a way to soothe our fears, but at the same time, they're creating the fears simultaneously. Like the reason we hold on to them is because we're holding on to them, which is causing fear, which it's like this crazy cycle that is just all illusion that we all hold on to now because it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. So that's something that, especially in the last year, someone says like, oh, that's just the way it is. When I ask a question, it's like, how do you not, question that statement right there. And I feel like, Cam, you're someone who questions that every single time. And, and so it's cool to talk to you about all this stuff because it's fun when someone isn't afraid to question those things. And it's almost like I think of belief and, and all of these things that we hold on to is like a wobbly stool. And as soon as someone comes over and questions it, it's like, all it takes and you come tumbling down pretty quick. It's same with identity. It's same with external validation, feeling better. So it seems like you've sort of stepped off the stool and it seems like you're one of the rare people who maybe have been doing it for a very long time, having not grown up in 
a religious belief system as much is is pretty cool. So I guess going along that avenue, how has that been with your relationship to religion? Like, did you see it as something growing up, having not been sort of indoctrinated from a young age as something that's like, you can see the benefits to people, but also like, it's kind of absurd in a lot of ways, or did your parents, like, was it something that was even talked about? Did you come home from school ever and be like, all these kids are say they're Christian or, you know, whatever they, they are like, why is that? Or why aren't we this? Or, or what was your process and your relationship with religion itself? It's a really interesting question because growing up in that town, in that space, it was, it was everywhere. It was rampant. Um, and my, my best friends growing up, they still are my best friends now. And we've all gone through, you know, significant changes and they're just incredible human beings and I love them. Uh, but growing up, God, they used to deliberately trigger me as well because they knew that I didn't have this belief. And um, my buddy and I, Drew, would be sitting on the trampoline and he'd look up and go, so what do you think the stars are? Well, well they're just big balls of flame. He's like, yeah, but, but God did that. I'm like, well, did it? Did he? I don't know about that. And finally, I think it was fourth grade, he finally convinced me to come to after school church camp with him. Uh, and I'd been saying no. And finally, I went and we were playing on the playground. They gave us juice boxes and cookies. I was like, this is sick. God is awesome. And then they brought us inside and started doing a Bible reading. And I had my, my juice box and my cookie. And I thought, what? What are you? And I was looking around and these kids are just like, just totally wrapped up in it. And at that point, I knew that something was either profoundly wrong with this or profoundly wrong with me. And you know, mom would mention she was always eclectic with her beliefs and her ideas. And, and she said, well, if I was to follow anything, it'd be, you know, Buddhism and you get reincarnated. And so I thought in my head, well, that, that makes sense. If you're good, you get reincarnated as this. If you're bad, you get reincarnated as a cockroach or something. And I know that my friend's parents thought I was some kind of heathen because I'd come over and they'd, they'd ask me questions like this. They'd be, well, what do you believe? I'm like, well, the reincarnation that if you're bad, you're a cockroach and then go, what kind of heathen is hanging out with my children? And leaving because we I, you know i moved to australia when i was what was it, like 15 16 years ago coming over here into a distinctly non-religious place um i don't really know anybody religious over here and it was really interesting to see that dichotomy maybe because it was a penal colony and everybody's criminals but realistically that just the this the spectrum of beliefs and ideologies was narrow not because they weren't thinking but because they didn't care and that was just a more fluid place to be. And I really resonated with that. And then I, over the years, going back to that small town in the mountains, you know, I'd be gone sometimes for two years at a time. And you'd go back and you'd see these, these big shifts in mentality that they had. A lot of these, the shifts in their perspective on religions occurred when they started using cannabis, started getting frisky, started getting curious and thinking about these things, actually challenging their beliefs and going, oh, dang, that might not hold up. And so the, you know, we've all kind of come to this place and it's interesting going back there now because we're really on a similar page, the page of uncertainty that, uh, you know, these are religions are largely frameworks that we use to justify and make sense of suffering and, um, you know, turmoil and trauma going through our life. And it's a very handy tool to have. And when I was young, maybe, you know, 13, 14, I was so, so fiercely atheist, like there is no God. and you know, I'd have these heated, heated debates with my friends 
And then I, a couple of years later, I went, hang on, is it, it's not my responsibility to shatter their faith. It's their responsibility to question it and to challenge it because the world will challenge it for you and it might not hold up. And when it does, you want to be able to at least be able to slip back into something that provides comfort and peace within all of the uncertainty, but it's not, it's not my position to do so. No, no, it's not. But just your existence does it on its own because you're holding on to an illusion. You're immediately in conflict with reality and anybody around you who is aligned with reality is likely going to embody the conflict that you're avoiding. So that's, that's often the case, but it's interesting because it really does come down to identity, not necessarily the belief. Like Andrew posted a, a video recently where it was a discussion between a theist and somebody who's recognizing that they are God, that everything is one. And, and the conversation was, was very straightforward. It wasn't, there is no God so much as maybe we should re-examine the concept of God because we're sticking to something that's self-validating. We're sticking to something that's self-soothing. And that's the only purpose that we're sticking to it. Whereas if we were to question it a little bit more, we would question ourselves and our assumptions. Maybe we'd have a deeper insight, which is a great post. Let's just look at things afresh. Let's find another way to see this. But the response was largely, you're saying there's no God, you're absolutely wrong. And, and the response was, I would often just respond, no, that's actually not what we're saying. What we're saying is that this should be looked at afresh, that just in the same way that your idea of air isn't air, your idea of God isn't God, ever, regardless of what that idea might be. And of course, I would just get, well, that means your idea of God's not God. Correct. That's what I'm saying. But they could not see that ideas, the perception, the attachment to the perception of the concept is optional. There's no understanding that it's optional because their entire world is concept. Their entire world is ideas. It's all in their head. Because if they were to touch reality, it would all fall apart, which is why what, what you said earlier makes total sense, whether it's cannabis or psychedelics or the fact that they just didn't care about the concept of God. It makes it more fluid. We can, we can look at it. We can question it. We can get insight from it. But as soon as it's the end of the road, this is it. This is what God is. There's no room for insight. There's no room for growth. There's no room for anything except further identification and, and sticking to those that agree with you the most and avoiding those that don't. And that's the problem. So I find it terrible and ironic that religion means to bind together. And it is the single biggest reason that we tear ourselves apart. Neutrality is a superpower. Like, I really think that if you, um, if you can adopt the this the again it's that it's a decision you have to make these decisions acceptance is a decision surrender is a decision like it doesn't just come like just easy at the start and neutrality is the same thing when we events occur in our lives and we automatically assign this emotional capital to it um like oh the weather sucks this sucks it's like well it's a neutral event oh the traffic is busy uh it's a neutral event you're just gonna be wherever you go so just be here now there's, there's no point in getting frustrated that you're not physically in a different position because you are wherever you go. If you can just adopt this position of neutrality, consolidate the energy that we're always leaking because we're always leaking energy on people get stuck in the past. They got stuck on how things were, how things could have been, should have been, would have been. They get stuck on the future, how things could be, would be, should be. They get stuck you know, in this moment with their you know, attachment to how things could have been, having being frayed, having it being a, a disillusion. And so 
there is this massive element of subjectivity to our world. And so, you know, even when we say this, you know, that that isn't God, like to them, is it? Because, you know, it's so intensely subjective the way that all of our neural pathways are. We are just these ongoing algorithms that are perpetuating, but certainty is a dead end of that algorithm. It just, it scours wonder and curiosity from the world. It scours your ability to just continue questioning things, which is the algorithm perpetuating, which is us evolving, continuing to grow. Do we ever get there? Is there a destination? I don't know. <laughs> well said. The answer is the end of intelligence, essentially. Yeah. 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 Now, I, I find that, too, with, with belief and with that idea of certainty. It's, like you said, with acceptance and surrender are more or less choices and actions that you're forced to take in the moment. Those mentalities of believing things to be the truth and and falling into this false sense of certainty is a sort of mentality. Whereas relaxing into uncertainty and being uncertain about everything and being okay with that uncertainty is also a mentality. So I've made videos purposefully trying to be triggering. Well, sort of, I'm not shying away from it. And I've said that your belief in God is perpetuating all of your anxiety and suffering because I'm taking it, I'm coming at it from a mentality perspective. And when you believe in something like God to be a certain idea that you hold on to, that only exists inside of your mind, inside of your imagination, how many other ideas are you believing to be the truth that only exist inside of your mind, your imagination, not the least of which being your idea of yourself, which is the root of all of that suffering, of all of that depression, of all of that anxiety. It's all you now relative to a past version of yourself being, you know, depression for the most part, generalizing here a little bit, but and then a future potential idea of yourself as being less than it is now, something happening in the future creates anxiety within yourself. So as you relax into that sense of uncertainty, into that recognition of uncertainty of that you right now are uncertain, that idea of yourself right now is uncertain. You kind of also have to be willing to let go of all of that other certainty that you hold on to, to soothe that fear that it's also creating, like your idea of God. And so I see that more so as a mentality, as a mentality of questioning, of questioning everything. And we were talking about our discord before, and it's, it's a dualistic unity podcast discord. It's not, you know, my discord and it's not raised discord. So a lot of times we'll have people come in there and sometimes they've, you know, seen an episode of the podcast or not even seen the podcast and they just find it somehow. I think I had a link in my bio that was just like a little button click at the top that I've since gotten rid of because we had, we had so many people coming in and, and bringing with them all of these senses of certainty and kind of coming at it like, you know, well, well, this is my belief. Who are you to tell me that it isn't, you know, the truth? And it's like, well, this whole podcast is not about any single belief. It's not about any single religion, any single system of belief in some semblance of fiction. It's about the idea of belief itself and why you need to cling to a belief, because as long as you cling to a belief, you're cut off from reality that is always here now. And you that is always here now, not the idea of yourself, but the reality of what you actually are. So I find it fascinating just like being able to come at everything with that mentality. It's kind of like an umbrella approach to reality as reality experiencing itself. And as long as you hold on to certainties on one side, it's going to be very difficult to let go of certainties on the other side. So with that, another Another question for you relative to belief and clinging to these ideas. 
growing up not having been in a belief system, which I'm always fascinated to talk to someone who never had that because so many people that I talk to grew up in some sort of religious belief system, essentially, because it's just run rampant through our entire society. Was there a point where you began to build an idea of yourself, which I feel like always sort of happens in our society when we come into puberty, like teenage years, is there a point where you started to build one and then started to question it a little bit more? I feel like maybe that could have been a little bit, I don't know, potentially easier for you not having clung to so much certainty in other aspects of your life and, and living in this state of curiosity. What was that process like of, you know, the idea of cam and how is that, what is that currently like your process of, of sort of going through that idea of yourself and, and potentially questioning it, potentially getting caught up in holding on to certain ideas of, of definitive ideas of yourself and then being able to eventually let go of those as well. What a great question. There, I think there's always been a, an element of fluidity to this self because I'd never had any of those confining structures to, you know, to, to guide what this is. There were never any strict parameters one of the maybe most significant moments of that was a couple a few years ago when i was really getting into meditation developing this idea of like oh you you meditate you're calm you're peaceful you're like the buddha and you know having this beautiful increased sensitivity to to pleasure finding actual pleasure and joy in just breathing and sitting and you can you know i sit on the back deck in the sunshine for an hour and just close my eyes and breathe but that increased sensitivity to pleasure also paradoxically led to an increased sensitivity to pain. And I was reacting quicker. I was quicker to frustration. I was reacting poorly, uh, negatively. And I was like, what is going on? I'm meditating. So why am I grumpy? Why am I doing this? And it's, again, this, this idea of meditation, this idea of a spiritual practice was consolidated into the self and was actually taking me further away from where I was because Every time you have, you know, you develop this, this idea, this sense of self, this parameter, the structure, mm -hmm. and you have a feeling that is outside of it or an action that is outside of it, you are now, uh, you know, in contrast, there's a juxtaposition between what you thought you were and what you actually are feeling. And right then and there, I was like, oh, well, I've, I've tied it into my identity. I need to let that go. The final, you know, gateway is the actual renunciation of spirituality itself. It was at the same, I remember there was this, the, the trend, it's kind of fallen off as trends do of the 5D ascension leaders. So you're just inducing more separatism. What are you talking about? Like if you were here, then you'd see that everybody's here. You're not, you're not different from them. Oh, you've ascended and they haven't. Well, you're just increasing the gap between yourself and what reality is. So I think that, I mean, I'm always questioning myself, but I'm also inherently curious and never certain. And so I've never, there will be times, I know that, where I will come face to face with a thought process or a pattern of behavior that I haven't been aware of, or that even maybe I am aware of right now, but I haven't brought into the spotlight of my awareness just because um, maybe I'm not ready to deal with it or things are operating smoothly enough as they are. But it is a constant, again, decision to routinely analyze yourself, routinely analyze the flaws in your own beliefs and patterns and uh, behaviors so that at bare minimum, I can make refinements and adjustments just so that my own path through life is more fluid. 
you know, part of that, there is this, you know, the idea of you are whole, you are perfect to everything as you are. That's a safe, safe place. But there are also things that I do want to get better at. I do want to be more disciplined. I do want to be more consistent with my actions. I've been wildly inconsistent for many months and I find joy in that. And, you know, I do work in a way that is sprint when I'm inspired and then rest and recover. And, you know, I've created a life where I can kind of do that now. I'm not working a nine to five. Um, I don't even know what I'm going to do today, which is part of the, you know, the challenge is that I should, I should have my day planned. I should know what I'm doing. I am more efficient. Sorry. I should have a, a direction in which I can, you know, point my energy and my attention at, because quite frequently I get to the end of the day and go, well, you worked all day, but you didn't really do anything. And these are the, the trials and tribulations of getting wrapped up in the self. Yes, absolutely it is because, and I say this as somebody older than both of you, that never really stops. The only thing that really changes is that you stop attaching to the process so much. You stop judging yourself quite so much. You recognize that the judgment is just your brain trying to establish context with the new information that's taking in every second of every day. It's all that's happening. It's just your brain's just like, hmm, where do I fit into the picture here? Never knowing there really is no picture that it could possibly comprehend that makes any sense whatsoever. It's just enough to get us through the day without walking into other people, right? And, and really, that, that's the whole point. But being aware, the more aware that you are, it's more like being an exposed nerve. And we have such a vivid experience as that exposed nerve that immediately we shut it down by conceptualizing it, by identifying with it. It's how we cover the nerve up is to cover it up with thought and concept and identity just to build that governor so we don't have to be so inundated with all of the information that would otherwise be coming in. But it's that information that's informing our decisions. It's that information that's informing our path. And so the more we protect that exposed nerve uh, experience, the less we're allowing ourselves to be in alignment with what is because we're afraid, which is why we hold on to the idea of ourselves, which is why we try and rationalize, it's why we try and take ownership, right? Because otherwise it's just feeling, otherwise it's just being, and there is no right being, and there is no wrong being, there is no, I should have done that, or I shouldn't be doing that. All of that is again, just us trying to diminish the experience of being an exposed nerve, because otherwise it's just uncertainty. It's just whatever the hell the flow is, that's it, right? And so it's so interesting to be able to keep that in mind, like, right, right, I'm thinking about this because otherwise I'd probably be overwhelmed. So this is me helping myself ease in to the experience that I've been working so hard to, to let myself uh, accomplish, that I've been working so hard to surrender myself into. But that's the only thing that's important is the priority. If, you're, if your priority is genuinely to get out of your way because you're tired of what you think you know, Everything else is just a self-refining process. It all works itself out in the end. It's, it's an infinite layer. I was talking to somebody last week and we were talking about how sometimes when we look at suffering, we kind of see it like a big ball in the middle of our consciousness. Like if I can just tap into like, a, like an oil, Derek, I can start tapping all that suffering out. And I was trying to explain that it's more like a ball of rubber bands. You cut one, it changes the whole network of the ball. Right? You have to deal with a whole new configuration every time you let one layer go. It changes everything. Right? And so don't, don't rush it. And understand it, that suffering is something you'll never get rid of. It's always an experience in our dualistic perception. It's always there to be tapped into. The problem is we identify with it, which is what creates the feeling that we have to tap into it, that we have to try and reconcile something that will never go away. Will never go away. The only difference is that we will stop 
attaching to it as having anything to do with who we are or what we are. I love it. I mean, there's a, a quote, I'm not sure who said it, but if you can't beat the fear, just do it scared, bitch. It's like, you got to move with it. <laughs> yeah, we're suffering out here. Okay, what's next? Come on. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, that's been one of the most helpful things for me in my life. Like I used to get so like, I dealt with a decent amount of social anxiety when I was in high school and just fear of like putting myself out there, speaking publicly, all those things. And I had all these ideas of, of, oh, someone who's really good at that. They must just never get nervous. They must never be afraid ever. They just, they just beat the fear. That's all they did. And I was like, well, if I can just get to that point, then I can start doing all these things. And I was like, I just have to get to that place. And so I would start feeling nervous and I'd be like, shit, well, I'm not there now. So I can't do this then. And one of the most powerful things I ever recognized was that you can do it scared. The being scared and the doing the thing well are not mutually exclusive experiences. You can do both at the same time. And it's not that the fear or the anxiety or the nerves are ever fully going to go away, but the more you do them, the less scary it is. And eventually you get to a point that's like, yeah, maybe there's like a tiny bit coming up, but you've gotten so used to doing it anyway, that it, it's not even a second thought as to whether it's going to stop you from doing that. So yeah, if you can't beat the fear, do it scared is one of the most powerful quotes and recognitions I've ever had in my entire life. And it's so true for anyone listening who does get nervous about things and get worried, just do something, just put yourself out there. Just, you know, if you're afraid of going outside for a walk through a busy street, like just do that, get through it. If you can turn around after five minutes, that's better than, than not facing it. And eventually it builds on itself everything is cumulative. You don't have to judge yourself along the way. It all builds on itself. And eventually you're, you know, walking miles and, you know, doing whatever you're afraid of without a, hardly a second thought. Every time you push past the point you thought you couldn't, that point ends up getting further and further away. There's compound interest with all things. We are infinite potential. We just have to move through it. And it's all part of the process, that fear, that anxiety, the dry mouth you get when you're about to do something that you wouldn't usually do. It's all part of it. It's okay. Take a deep breath. You know, that, that is the most powerful life hack we have is just breathing deeply and slowly controlling that you can at least slightly slow down the pace of your thoughts. And then between those thoughts, that's where you know, everything lies. The death of God left a void, but that void is God. So enjoy it. Well said. Absolutely. I, I want to switch gears here quickly because I know that um, you have an interest in how our environment can help our process. And specifically, I'm talking about terpenes and, and essential oils, things like that, scents and, and whatnot. Um, in our journey, particularly on this podcast, we try to keep in mind that people are often stuck in the middle of a city where they don't have access to nature, where they don't have access to a quiet spot where they can get away, where the only pond that might be near them is covered with, you know, a hundred people and two ducks, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, so I generally try to focus on what people can do in their day-to-day -day lives to just make it a little easier. But I am aware that there are things that are quite helpful, aromatherapy and different, different modalities, things like that. What is it specifically that attracted you to, um, aroma or, or terpenes and the help that they can they can offer you and for people who don't necessarily have access to nature or or know about the effect that these things can have on our state of mind because obviously we are our reality and so every time you expose yourself to a different scent or a different experience it is changing you because you are reality changing um what would you suggest to people who don't necessarily 
have access to these things. And feel free to plug your product at this point, because I've already looked at your product and there is some definite value there. Uh, specifically, what made you decide to go down that road rather than say another type of product or another modality that might encourage awareness? Through my journeys into the cannabis industry um, and just having the, uh, the fortune to have some healthy hyperfixations, uh, diving into the, the, the chemistry of cannabis and the pharmacology of it and seeing that it really is a uh, polypharmacological plant, meaning that there are many, many mechanisms through which it's working and that the cannabis industry at large still just focuses on THC. Like when I was in California, I went to a dispensary and I, I asked the guy behind the counter, I was like, hey, I just want some, some regular weed. Um, He's like, yeah, I got this 32% THC with THC crystals and a hash rolling paper. I'm like, I said, regular. <laughs> this That sounds scary. I don't want that. And like, <laughs> I am, air quotes, a professional with cannabis, but I part of that is keeping my tolerance nice and low. I like to be functional. I like to just enhance things, get some tangential thoughts going. I like to be able to write, not be paralyzed with anxiety. Uh, but through that research, really discovering that terpenes are the effect drivers of the plant, they shape the experience. If you have THC in that plant, then the, you know, the robust profile of terpenes is going to really, you know, take you in a certain direction. If THC is the engine, then the terpenes are the, the steering wheel. And drawing that back into my own experience, learning more about these things, and then just encountering them in daily life, which you do every single time you go outside, you experience terpenes. If there are trees there, if there are lemons there, if there's a flower shop over there, if there's a grass right there, you are coming into contact with these pharmacological compounds that do change your state. You know, something like limonene, it's in <clears throat> lemons, all kinds of citrus fruits. It, uh, it binds to your serotonin receptor, the 5-HT1A receptor, which can help to induce a little bit of a feeling of calm, which is helpful for balancing out the you know, potentially edgy effects of THC. Same thing goes with pinene. When I walk into a forest, I feel calm. I feel peaceful. And it's not just that I am you know, entering an environment in which I'm closer to what I am than what I am when I'm sitting behind a computer. It's that there are pharmacological processes going on at all times. And these things are complex. If I said that I understood them, I would be lying to you, but I'm kind of getting a gist of it. And the gist is that everything is a combination of everything. Uh, nothing works in isolation. Uh, and in order for anything to be simple, it must be infinitely complex. And so you can find you know, comfort in the uncertainty because that is reality. But I also have an inherent desire to change my own state. Um, I think many humans do. We are always doing things to change the state. And then the idea, especially moving into the cannabis space, was that I don't want to just give people a drug and say, okay, you're fixed now. That should that should do it. It's like again, everything is a combination of everything. You know, the medicine is only part of the equation. The rest of the equation is what you do once that medicine allows you to feel good enough to engage, good enough to go for a walk, good enough to actually sit with those intrusive thoughts and just be with them for a little while. You're not just ridden by this own you know, self-discomfort. And if we can use these tools to expand our capacity to actually engage in a, in a deeper level with our reality, then we can just, again, create a more palatable experience for us. And so the terpenes were largely taking these wonderful compounds from nature that we are and using them to formulate an experience that at first was just for me. 
Like I made these blends in my garage. I ordered a bunch of terpenes from Israel. They got stopped at the border. I had to convince them that I wasn't uh, you know, committing a felony by importing CBD. I was like, no, these are just aromatic compounds. You, you probably came into contact with them on your way to work this morning. <laughs> uh, but I started making these blends and I went, oh, oh, shit, this is working. This is actually, this is doing something quite profound. Uh, and then I got some help from other people in the industry that, uh, that saw what I was doing and decided to, you know, help facilitate that. And here we are. And so, you know, the idea was, all right, if you cannot go out into a forest and you cannot find that, that sanctity and that peace of mind in that environment right now, then you can utilize something like this to at least get you into a headspace where you can further engage with things, where you can sit with a different perspective where you might feel good enough to be impulsive buy that ticket go out into the woods and sit in an airbnb and you know sit by a fire whatever it might be it's about increasing our capacity to engage nice i just want to toss in here quickly that i really like your offering as a whole i think it's very complimentary because between your content the insights that you share and the impact that you were trying to help people have on their physical reality or, or the reality that they're experiencing i think that's fantastic this might be helpful. Smell this, listen to this, be what you've always been. I like the intention there. It's very pure in that I'm not trying to do anything that comes back to me. I'm just giving you tools that you can use or don't use. Totally up to you how you want to use them. I, I think that's fantastic, Cam. Thank you. Uh, compassionate capitalism is, is what I'm trying for. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we're in the same boat with that. Um, but no, I really appreciate the authenticity with that whole story and, and that whole process. Cause like you said, it just started with something you were doing for yourself. You, you've figured it out in your garage. It helped you similar to the content you produce. It's things that you found helpful in your life. And it's like, all right, well, I also have these platforms. If it's helped me, it, we're not so different as human beings. Odds are it'll probably help someone else. So might as well share it. It's not this thing where it's like, I don't know what this shit is, but I'm going to, you know, someone's selling me it and I'm going to push it here and I'm going to try and make some money. It's, it's like coming through you. It's like being processed through your experience, which is the most authentic place you can ever come from. Obviously it's, it's like the, the definition of authenticity. I don't know what the definition exactly is, but something to do with coming through you and expressed outwardly, something like that. And so it's really cool to see that. And with the terpenes, I don't, I don't, I mean, that was an awesome explanation. I really appreciate it. I've never really understood what they are in, in the terms of like the word terpenes, I guess, obviously I've come across them in my life, um, as you mentioned, but I'm curious. So with the cannabis plant, is it something specifically that's attached to the plant or it sounds like it's something that's just always in nature is terpene, like the overarching phrase or, or word used to describe the experience of the impact on us or, or what is, what exactly is a terpene regarding nature and then also with the cannabis plant so terpenes are aromatic compounds and they are they're not essential oils but they are inessential oils they are the compounds that uh, help a plant essentially protect itself from environmental dangers like deciding what kind of uh, bugs can get on it to um, pollinate it or eat it and protecting it from various uh, environmental changes. And so they are, you, you find these terpenes all across nature. So the same ones that are in cannabis are also just all around us. So my, my favorite terpenes within cannabis 
uh, personally are pinene, limonene, linalool. Pinene's in pine trees and conifers, limonene's in citrus, linalool is in lavender. Uh, and so we have all of these plants that you know, historically have been therapeutic and medicinal, like lavender has always been used for things like, like sleep and anxiety. It's, you know, mildly sedative. Um, it attaches to your GABA receptor being GABA being your own uh, inhibitory neuromodulator helps to balance out all of the craziness of our excitatory chemicals. And so cannabis really is this amalgamation of nature. It's kind of like uh, nature's medicine cabinet. And um, by playing God and picking out the ones that I liked, I just you know, kind of put them all together. But terpenes is a, is a class of technically aromatic hydrocarbon molecules that serve to protect and perpetuate the plant kingdom. And there's some of you know, nature's oldest compounds and some of the ones that we would have first come into contact with as we crawled out of our sea and developed a sense of smell and decided which ones were going to maim us and which ones might help us. Yeah, I, I was fascinated by it because I know um, growing up, using cannabis recreationally, we only ever broke it up into sativa or indica, which is really inaccurate and no longer the standard for looking at cannabis as a whole. You're looking at the terpenes and, and their entire profile because each terpene changes the smell, the effect, the taste, all of it. And there are terpenes in everything from, from blueberries to strawberries to cannabis to, to grass, as, as Cam mentioned earlier. So it's a much deeper way of looking at why these things have the effect that they have. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned your three favorite terpenes because I, I share those three favorite terpenes as well. Um, but they also change, as I said, the impact of the cannabis. That's the funniest part about it is that if you go and you're like, hey, I'm looking for cannabis that has a nice soaring cerebral high as opposed to, hey, I'm looking for cannabis that's gonna knock me on my ass and put me to sleep. Those are entirely different terpene profiles. And you can actually look them up online now before going into a cannabis dispensary and find a, a, a strain that has your selective terpenes. And so the entire industry is being changed by these, but it kind of goes to show that we are becoming more aware of what's always been there. We're becoming more aware of the depth of our reality. We're looking farther and farther into the building blocks of it because we're willing to based on the work that we're doing on ourselves. Because I find in the cannabis industry, especially, while you do have the large business interests, and unfortunately, those are tainting the entire party for everyone, the cannabis industry got to where it is based on the enthusiasm of people who believed in the plant, based on how much it affected their lives, based on the same driving motivations that drives us to make our podcast or drives us to try and you know, create ripples in the world. It's very much what got cannabis to where it is. And, and so I think that that's a large part of our deepening awareness of the plant itself, because cannabis, as you said earlier, does make us more aware. It does, in fact, give us a chance to question everything that we were, we were so certain of until we had a smoke. And then all of a sudden we're like, why do I feel the way I do? And we start questioning and then we have an insight. So I, I find it funny how it's all coming together at the same time. Andrew and I have talked about uh, psychedelics, how they're becoming more and more legal around the world, how they're becoming, uh, in, there's a growing interest in them from the psychological community and from the pharmaceutical community, just because they're so damn useful. And that's happening at the exact same time that this conversation and other conversations like it are starting to rise again in our collective consciousness. And so the timing, as always, is perfect. And it just goes back to what we were saying earlier. We may think that we are doing something for our own reasons, but we are part of whatever it is you're doing collectively, right? We're just a very small part of that. And, and we get so caught up in how important we are to that process. But the fact is, is that we don't even have to worry about it because we can't possibly be separate from the process. For us to be here, the conditions have to exist. 
to have this conversation. It exists. So we're, you know, I'm not out here being an outlier, <laughs> just contributing to the collectiveness of everything. It's, it's funny how much less suffering is left when we recognize that more clearly, that we're not divided from everything, that we don't have to have this idea of ourselves that is separate from reality. You can see that we're just reality happening no differently than a wave crashing or the sun rising or the snow falling. Andrew speaking is something happening just like that. Me being, me doing shit is no different. And when you separate the idea of what you think you should be doing or want to be doing or wish you were doing or hoped you were doing at this point in your life, it's like all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, this all makes a lot more sense. And you see it's like that veil of suffering of certainty of that false sense of certainty is lifted. And it's like, you see things a little bit more clearly. You see that, oh, none of that was actually the truth. I was just holding on to all these ideas in my head. And it's funny. I go through that fucking probably every, every month, every other month. It's like, oh, I was just getting caught up in a bunch of bullshit, thinking about myself all the time as something separate from anything, thinking that I have so much impact and trying to cling to this idea of control of where my life's going and what should be happening. And it's like, just take a step back. It's all happening more perfectly than you can ever imagine. So yeah, it's, it's fun to recognize that. Um, something, Cam, I did want to go back to regarding structure. You're talking about uh, your day today. And this, I'll try and tie it back to the, the terpenes because I had a question about that as well. But um, you said how like you don't have a great idea for even what you're doing today. And I, I resonate with that a ton. About a year ago, I sort of recognized that you know my, my worth, my wholeness, my completeness cannot be shaken, is unwavering. It's like, all right, so maybe I don't have to be so rigid like I've been my entire life, so goal-oriented. Maybe I don't have to accomplish all of these things to become more whole and complete. And so I went through a period where I wasn't structured hardly at all. I was, I was waking up when I wanted to wake up. I was falling asleep when I wanted to fall asleep. I was you know, making videos when I felt like making videos, which is still kind of what I do. But I was finding, similar to what you were saying before, that get to the end of the day and it was like, all right, well, I, I didn't have structure. I'm not any less worthy than I was in the morning, but I also didn't do jack shit today. And I had some things that I wanted to do that would have been cool to get done that I didn't. And so I, it kind of came full circle to recognizing that, oh, structure isn't a bad thing. It's not necessarily that I should avoid doing things because I feel like it may cause me to strive. And then if I, if I do that, am I going against my recognition that I'm whole and complete as I am. And it's like, no, do things because you can strive because you can, not because you have to, to become more whole and complete. So I'm curious a little bit about your process of finding that balance between recognizing that, you know, your value is completely unwavering, but also having a lot of cool shit that you're doing in your life and finding that structure. And then also with terpenes kind of secondarily related to that, I'm curious about your structure with that? Like if, when you, if it's something, I don't even know, is it something that you just smell like an aroma that you smell? Is that like something you kind of have structured? Like at this, I wake up and I take this terpene before I go to bed, I, I smell this terpene, or is it kind of just like, oh, I, I want to smell this one right now. And it's just kind of sitting there and you just take them as you do. So I guess both kind of having to do with structure, but first and foremost, you know, finding that structure and, and balance within yourself in your day-to-day -day life with all the things going on. The pendulum swings, uh, and I find that especially lately, it's more enjoyable and more beneficial to allow that pendulum to swing. Uh, I'm finding that 
you know, the desire for balance in itself creates imbalance and that to really be balanced, it's about adapting to the energetic flow that you're experiencing at any given time. If I want to finish my work day at 12 and just read my book, I'm going to do that now. And I'm not feeling guilty. I'm not feeling shameful about it because that, that sitting down and reading my book is a type of restoration. It's an energetic restoration that if I just continue to work through that drudgery of wanting to be somewhere else and do something and just ignoring that energy that's flowing through me, then um, I'm doing myself a disservice. And of course, I'm speaking from a place of great privilege to be able to finish at 12 and be like, nah, I'm done. Like there are people that are beholden to external structures that really do, you know, instigate these parameters in life and they do have to show up and they do have to be there for a certain amount of time. It was my decision to not do that and to embrace the struggle and you know whatever kind of suffering that comes from finding your own way it has not been easy there have been many days and nights of stress um and you know you can use that stress you know first you have to just accept it you, know, you don't have to add an additional layer of suffering to that stress you don't have to be stressed about being stressed just be stressed just just be just enjoy it it's energy you know that anxiety is you know uncertainty which is potential that is yet to be manifested and i can go and manifest it or i can read my fucking book and so it, the last couple months especially in the states uh, i you know i went back home and it was it was weird how quickly i slipped into the mental context of being in that area and like i was back in my old family home this little two-bedroom house in the mountains um living with my dad again and just like slipping into that role and being like well Nothing, nothing jives your practice more than living with your parents. And I'm going to go meditate. I say, oh, okay, you're meditating now? I'm like, yeah, dad, I meditate now. <laughs> uh, but through that, through letting the pendulum swing, um, through realizing that the spectrum of what actually needs to be done is very different than what I think needs to be done. Like, I need to do this. I need to do that. Oh, I'm so busy. It's like, well, you're only as busy as you want to be. You can actually let these things pass and you'll find that the more you do, the less you actually needed to do them in the first place. But the pendulum swung so far over that way that every single day I'm playing, I'm hanging out in the woods, I'm going rafting, I'm just hanging out with my buddies again. That coming back here, it's, um, you know, after that freedom and that just the expansion of just being and not, you know, telling myself that I need to be doing this, I need to be doing that. Now I'm back over here and I do, I do have responsibilities that I've accumulated simply through the act of being hungry and I am ambitious. And it's about, you know, again, that, that line between what is this ambition? Why is it there? Is it just serving to perpetuate a unique algorithm that, you know, tries to draw as much from this experience as you can by just allowing life to course through you, but also being responsible for what I've, for what I've done. Uh, commitments to people, things that 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 need to be attended to, and so the structure is something that it changes over time, and you allow it to change. But it's a decision that you have to actually enact it and and follow it to a certain extent. Simply because I don't like getting to the end of the day and looking at my to do list and being like, "Well, I really wanted to do those things and I didn't." It's not a good feeling, and I like feeling good. And you know, I can go through all the rationalization that I want of oh, you are just a part of reality. It doesn't really matter. These are just anxieties and worries of the self, but like there are also bills to pay and, and things to do. And if I want to continue perpetuating this existence of freedom and fulfillment, then striking that balance is a decision that you make every day. And it's less of a routine for me and more of a rhythm. I know that I wake up in the morning and I have to move. 
just have to move my body. I have to generate that heat from within and wake things up, you know, practice that compassion and love for this incarnation that I get to inhabit right now. Cause I pretty, pretty epic that I was able to hitch a ride in this biological supercomputer. And all I got to do is just like, wake it up and move it around. You know, any of the pain or suffering that I experienced through that, that discomfort is ultimately refining this thing that I'm in. That's, that's awesome. And so after that move, be still, um, be still with my thoughts, allow myself to uh, create a stopgap between the you know, challenges or worries or ideas and ambitions of yesterday and begin again today. And beginning again is this wonderful aspect of mindfulness that has developed through meditation of like, oh, okay, I've had a bad day, but I can begin again right now. And beyond that, nourishing myself and just having having an element, some kind of idea of what's going on today. I know I have meetings and whatnot, and I show up and I be present there, and that's easy. But I have to I have to write. I have to create. I don't have to, but I want to. And putting structures in place allows you to do the things that you want to do. Because I don't want to get to the end of life and be like, well, there's a lot of things that I wanted to do, but you don't regret the things you did. You regret the things you didn't do. And the key to not having any regrets is to just not live in a regrettable way. The terpenes, the terpenes look, there's something that I, again, use very deliberately. It's not a habitual thing. I never wanted to create something that people feel they need. Uh, that was never the point. So here, here's a little biological boost in the right direction if you so want that boost. Um, but the idea is that you use it to engage in the things. Like, you know, I have one for inflammation. It's not that you should use that to just, you know, fix things. You should use that to then allow yourself the the breathing space to go and engage in the things that you want to do. Go for a walk, play with your dog, you know, go do a sauna, go do something that otherwise seemed too, too uncomfortable to do. I, I usually just use the, for myself, the focus one and the, uh, and the, the calm one. I, um, I love acetylcholine. I love building neural pathways. I like the idea that whatever I learn is going to stick in there. And I do like the, the safety blanket that I have with the calm one of, all right, this incarnation is experiencing anxiety. I have something that can help it, if only so that I can, you know, draw myself into the experience in a different way. Um, there are a lot of purists out there, and I've had people, you know, when I post things about these terpenes, they're like, "Well, it's just so antithetical to what you've been talking about. You've been talking about all these ways for people to help themselves, and then you give them this product that's supposed to do it for them. Like, you're not listening. It's not supposed to do it for you. If you don't want it, then keep scrolling. That's fine, but." I'm out here hustling and I enjoy it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can smell them and you can put them under your tongue. And I usually do both formats. Um, all of them are full of bronchodilators and I wake up usually with consistent allergies. And so I use that to clear myself away and then under the tongue so that you get that longer acting mechanism. That is awesome. And, and I just want to mention quickly, because I did go through your catalog, that uh, the three that caught my attention was the deep calm, the deep sleep, and the focus and flow. Because I can see how those would be really uh, useful to people who are having problems, I guess, resonating with that state of mind on their own. This is something that's been very different about my journey is that I tend to be, uh, I, I tend to be very independent when it comes to my state of mind. I, I Because I grew up the way I did, because I've always had so little control or influence over my environment, it's always been on me to get to that state of mind. There was never aromatherapy. There was never modalities available. There was nobody around who ever talked to this stuff. And so it came to me. It's like, if I'm going to be calm, I've got to find my way there. But I'll be the first to admit that 
had there been some things to maybe point the way, I may not have meandered quite as much on my way to that, that mentality in the same way that, you know, when we have a psychedelic experience for the very first time, it's so much easier to get back there sober because now we know there's a there to get back to, mm-hmm. right? And so the same can be true for, for terpenes and senses and, and the effect that it has on us, absolutely. So I, I find that just fascinating. And anybody who's interested, I definitely recommend that you go and check out Cameron's website. We will put the links in the description to this video on YouTube. And if you have any questions, of course, you can contact us directly. Hopefully what we'll do is we'll convince Cameron to join us on Discord. So that way, if you have any questions for him, you can ask him directly as well, because currently our Discord is around 500 members. So we are definitely growing by the day. And I know there's a lot of people in there who have mentioned that sometimes when I'm feeling under the pressure, it's difficult to remember where I came from when the pressure wasn't there. And I've often said that the problem with hell is that it convinces you there's nothing else, Mm. that you're never going to get out and you never have, it's always been. And so sometimes when you're in hell and you can smell a little lavender or a little pine, all of a sudden you're like, oh, is that is that smell leading me out of hell and sometimes it is and and so it's very useful to recognize that whatever draws your attention to the present whatever draws you out of your thoughts can be useful unless it becomes a crutch yeah right? so if you're if you want to use these things use them guilt-free but if you ever get through the day you're like i need this be careful maybe spend mm-hmm. a little bit of time take the responsibility to find that place yourself but it's a great reminder that will be my next marketing campaign. Um, let the smell of lavender guide you out of hell. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's, uh, it's very, I feel like it's very much along the lines, your your description of all of them, how I explain when people are asking about psychedelics or mushrooms and they say things like, you know, how do you not get attached to them or, or how do you know they're not addictive? And I, I always remind people, it's important to remember that these aren't adding anything to you. And I think it's similar with the terpenes and and the products that you have. They're not adding anything to this self. It's almost allowing you to see beyond the ideas that you cling to, beyond the illusions, beyond the judgments and perceptions you have that you've taken to be the truth that have become part of this story of be it yourself or other people or reality. And anything that, that connects you back to the truth of what you are as the here and now, as everything here and now, anything that allows you to do that, it's more so peeling back those ideas. It's more so connecting you back to what you've always been, but through our experience, especially in our current society and and the state of existence that we're experiencing, there's so many layers on top of it. And even people telling you that, you know, the most important thing you can ever do is know yourself. So immediately there's an idea that's built. There's, There's this striving to build this sense of self so that we can know it. And it's all an illusion. It's never the truth of what you actually are. That idea of you is never what you actually are. So anything, be it psychedelics, be it mushrooms, be it cannabis, be it terpenes, anything that allows you to connect more closely and and be more aware of the experience that you are in every single moment is not adding anything to you. It's peeling back all those ideas and, you know, connecting you closer to the infinite potential that you've always been beyond all of the ideas what you think you are that's beautiful thanks yeah <laughs> we're, we're not separate from any of this you know the the mushroom comes from the dirt we come from the dirt and i i'm a believer in utilizing the the tools that we have available to us to 
yeah, develop that awareness, engage with this reality as deeply as we can before we just get folded into the dirt and stone with the rest of it. Yeah. And it's important to keep it simple. That is what I enjoy about the Terpenes. That's what I enjoy about Tai Chi or Qigong is that it really is just about the experience itself. The experience itself is its own reward. You're not trying to get anywhere. It's just a matter of how deep into that experience can you get, because that's how much you're going to get out of it. And, and so, as Andrew said, we're never we're never encouraging people to add anything so much as to maybe utilize tools that allow them to see what's already there. And there is no difference between terpenes or psychedelics or, or just eating a meal and really paying attention to each and every bite. It just comes back down to what you're doing and, and your willingness to get something out of that experience. And so what I, I like about this conversation, we are going to have to wrap up here shortly. Unfortunately, I'm sure we're going to do this again. But um, what I enjoy about the conversation regarding the terpenes and everything else is that what we're really recognizing is that we are not separate from reality, that reality itself is a significant portion of our experience here in this dualistic perspective in that humanity, because of the ego largely, has developed such a, a disconnect from the natural world that we live in boxes. We have very little in terms of fresh air. We stay away from nature unless it's tightly controlled. And, and so we've actually gotten to the point where a great many of us don't see anything of value in nature. Unless it's tightly controlled, unless it's worth a lot of money, unless somebody else is marketing it, there's no value there whatsoever. And so we miss experiences that are everywhere simply because our egotistical society doesn't value them. And so all we're saying is come back to your senses, right? And what's nice about that is those of us that are doing this for, uh, I'd like to say not altruistic reasons, but doing it because we can and it makes sense as part of our journey. We never mark up those prices very much. We're never looking to make millions of dollars off of sales from other people. And if we do, we generally have ideas for that as well to expand and, and offer even more tools to other people. And so I would encourage our listener always, if you're dealing with anything that's remotely spiritual, quote unquote, take a look at how much they're promising to do the work for you. Take a look at how complicated the answer they're offering you is, because often we misinterpret complicated as more truthful. And they're never the case. Whatever is the simplest path to you being here now, fully immersed in the experience of that, that is often the tool that's going to help you the most. Unless it's asking you to feel superior, unless it's telling you that you're going to be better than everybody else, it's going to make you more aware than the rest of our unconscious society or any of that narrative. Beware all of that snake oil. The stuff that's going to help is the stuff that doesn't tell you it's doing the work for you. So just keep that in mind. That's definitely what I want to, to wrap up here. You can find all of Cameron's information in the description of this video. Like I said, definitely get in touch with him. Definitely take a look at these terpenes. If you have no experience with terpenes, take a look at them, ask him some questions because it is a world that just keeps getting bigger. There's so much research and there is so much in terms of education that can be had into how we can use these parts of nature that we used to appreciate, that we used to use without having to necessarily know what each compound was. You can look back to the old world in terms of natural medicines. You can see how there was an understanding of these compounds, regardless of the fact that they didn't, they didn't necessarily have the names for them that we do. So Cam, I just wanted to say quickly, I'm gonna pass it back to Andrew because I always tend to do this where I forget to pass the ball. 
Uh, I just want to say quickly, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. I've really looked forward to having this conversation with you. We're going to invite you back sometime in the next season or the season after that. If you can join us for any of our retreats over the next few years, we would love to see you there because I know everybody joining us would just get so much out of this conversation because they all contribute to it. So thank you for everything you do. Whether you doubt yourself or not, I just want to express that the work you're doing is fantastic. And you are always making more progress than you ever think you will be. So just keep being. Amen. To, to echo Ray. Cam, I've been looking to the, forward to this episode for a pretty long time. Uh, I rarely have too many expectations going into things. But as always, for, for the most part with these episodes and, and with guests like you, my expectations, whatever they may have been, were absolutely exceeded. Uh, I love all of the work you're doing. I really appreciate all the authenticity you put out there, all the potentially helpful messages that you put out into the ether that, as we know, will echo in eternity because we never quite know the impact that we're having on reality as reality. So thank you so much for coming on here. I know people will really appreciate this conversation and I look forward to our next chat, man. Always thank you. That was one of the most beautiful, wholesome, warm and welcoming outros to a podcast I've ever heard let alone be a part of so thank you for having me here uh i can't wait till next time likewise you're inspiring camp never forget that even on days where it doesn't necessarily feel like you are you are just for the role that you're playing and anybody who's open to to taking that in and taking what they can from it so again half of it's on you half of it's on us so with Without any further babbling, I'm going to end the episode here. Of course, if you would like to join us next week for episode 11, we would love to see you. Community topics number five will be coming out later this week. And of course, we have a weekly group chats that we would love to see you at as well. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Bye, everyone.